Hello. Hello. So, welcome to our last special episode for October. I'm so excited. Thank you so much if you've been hanging with us or welcome and start listening ahead. Yeah, definitely time to catch up. This is right at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if, if the response to these are good, definitely we'll probably come back to them in the future. Yes, yes. We have we've been. In the we works. have plans. Yes, we've got that. We have thoughts. <laughs> we have listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, anyways, guys, we are going to wrap things up with a talk about small talks mm. on Cape Cod, a brief history of it, and then specifically related to two towns. So, we yep. will be back after the music. All righty. All righty. It starts with a fever, with severe fatigue and back pain, headache, and vomiting, which lasts for about two days. Then a rash develops. What begins as small red spots on the tongue changes into sores that break open and spread into the mouth and throat. And all the while, the fever rages on. Once the sores in the mouth start breaking down, a rash appears on the skin, starting on the face and spreading to the arms and legs, and then to the hands and feet. In about 24 hours, it spreads to all parts of the body. As this rash appears, the fever begins to decline, and the person may start to feel better. But then on the fourth day of the rash, the sores begin to fill with a thick, opaque fluid. They often have a dent in the center, and once the sores fill, the fever may come back. The sores become pustules which are sharply raised, usually round and firm to the touch like peas under the skin. After about five days, the pustules begin to scab. By the end of the second week after the rash appears, most of the sores have scabbed over. When they eventually fall off, they leave deep, pitted scars. According to the Mayo Clinic, smallpox is a contagious, disfiguring, and often deadly disease that has affected humans for thousands of years. No cure or treatment exists, but there is a vaccine that can prevent smallpox. Naturally occurring smallpox was eradicated worldwide by 1980, the result of an unprecedented global immunization campaign. Smallpox is caused by infection with the variola virus. The virus can be transmitted directly from person to person through prolonged face-to-face contact or through the air by droplets that escape when an infected person coughs, sneezes, or talks. It can be transmitted indirectly from an infected person. In rare instances, when the airborne virus spreads possibly through the ventilation system in a building, infecting people in other rooms or on other floors. It can be passed on via contaminated items, through contact with contaminated clothing and bedding, And finally, smallpox can be deliberately released. The use of smallpox as a biological weapon is a remote threat. However, because any release of the virus could spread the disease quickly, government officials have taken numerous precautions to protect against this possibility, such as stockpiling smallpox vaccines. According to the CDC, the origin of smallpox is unknown. Smallpox is thought to date back to the Egyptian Empire around the 3rd century BCE based on a smallpox-like rash that was found on three mummies. The earliest written description of a disease that clearly resembles smallpox appeared in China in the 4th century CE. Early written descriptions also appear in India in the 7th century and in Asia Minor in the 10th century. Smallpox was a devastating disease. On average, three out of every 10 people who got it died. One of the first methods for controlling the spread of smallpox was the use of variolation. Named after the virus that caused smallpox, variolation was the process by which material from smallpox sores was given to people who had never had smallpox. 
This was done either by scratching the material into the arm or inhaling it through the nose. With both types of variolation, people usually went on to develop the symptoms associated with smallpox, such as fever and a rash. However, fewer people died from variolation than if they had acquired smallpox naturally. The basis for vaccination began in 1796 when an English doctor named Edward Jenner observed that milkmaids who got cowpox did not show any symptoms after, of smallpox after variolation. The first experiment to test this theory involved Sarah Nelms, a milkmaid, and James Phipps, the nine-year-old son of Jenner's gardener. Dr. Jenner took material from a cowpox sore on Sarah's hand and inoculated it into James' arm. Months later, Jenner exposed James a number of times to variola virus, but he never developed smallpox. More experiments followed, and in 1801, Jenner published his treaty on the origin of the vaccine inoculation, in which he summarized his discoveries and expressed hope that the annihilation of the smallpox, the most dreadful scourge of the human species, must be the final result of this practice. Vaccination became widely accepted and gradually replaced the practice of variolation, at some point in the 1800s, the virus used to make the smallpox vaccine changed from cowpox to vaccinovirus. Now that that was a lot to digest, and you can find it all on the smallpox pages on the CDC and Mayo Clinic's websites. The main takeaways are that smallpox was a common disease that swept through different parts of the world, decimating towns and villages in its wake. Let's turn our attention closer to home. There has been a relationship between Massachusetts and smallpox that's worth noting. The first inoculations for smallpox on this side of the Atlantic happened here in Massachusetts. Massachusetts was the first state in the Union in which vaccination against smallpox was performed. The first medical publication in this country was a broadside on the treatment of smallpox published in Boston. The first state compulsory law for the vaccination of school children was passed by the Massachusetts legislature. Got all that? Okay. We're going to go back to the end of the 18th century, to the towns of Chatham and Provincetown. Alrighty. So, for Chatham, if you're driving through Chatham down the training field road near where it intersects with Old Corners Road, you'll pass by the gravestone of Dr. Samuel Lord. It is a little off the beaten path with a historical marker installed across the street to direct visitors to Dr. Lord's grave. Though time has eaten away at the inscription on the stone, you can still read what it says. Here lies buried Dr. Samuel Lord, who died of smallpox after devoted service to the citizens of Chatham in the epidemic of 1765 to 1766. Severe attacks of smallpox were noted from the earliest English settlements on Cape Cod. The indigenous peoples were particularly decimated by this and other infectious diseases brought by settlers. The Monomayaks, for whom lands first purchased in 1656, had almost disappeared by 1712, the year in which the town was incorporated. Let's, that, let's let that sink in for a second. In a 56-year period, an entire group of people were nearly wiped out. Between the years of 1765 and 1766, local ravages of smallpox among white settlers added significantly to the earlier toll. According to the 1765 census, Chatham boasted a population of 678. Of these 678 people, 127 for, were families. In his history of Chatham, W.C. Smith wrote as follows. 
The population and resources of the town were depleted by an, an unexampled epidemic of smallpox. Isolated cases of the disease had previously dis- or had previously appeared in the town from time to time among soldiers returning from the frontier armies or sailors from the West Indies. Unusual precautions were always taken to prevent the spread of the dreaded disease. In an early case, every in, in nearly every case, it had been confined to the person who or family first attacked. In the autumn of 1765, however, it appeared in the town in its most vir- virulent form and in short time became an epidemic. It raged throughout December 1765 and January 1766. In all, 61 persons were attacked, of whom only 24 recovered. Dr. Samuel Lord, the town's physician, cared for the sick before falling victim himself and dying on January 12, 1766. Dr. Lord began medical practice in Chatham around 1735. He was born on June 26, 1707 in Charleston, South Carolina, the sixth of eight children of Reverend Joseph Lord and his wife, Abigail, a daughter of Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hinckley. His father, a graduate of Harvard College in 1691, was the pastor of the First Congressional Church of Chatham from its incorporation in 1720 until his death. Reverend Lord also practiced medicine and imparted his knowledge to his sons, Joseph and Samuel. Samuel came to Chatham from Barnstable with his father's family. On his father's death, he received Reverend Lord's copy of English books that relate to physic and chirurgy, which was appraised at a value of eight pounds. <laughs> Dr. Lord lived on a farm nearby Burring Hill and the triangle of the land between Queen Anne's Old Commerce and Training Field Roads where the colonial militia d- drilled. He never married and on his death, his remains were buried on his farm. According to the research conducted by Dr. Fred B. Rogers, the smallpox epidemic of 1765 and 1766 began in the family of Deacon Paul Crowell. One account stated it emanated from a bale of cotton imported from, south and so, imported from the south and sold at a store near the residence of Reuben Ryder, who contracted, who contracted the disease. Another account claims that the virus was brought in with a package of clothing from West Indies, garments which were washed in the house of Deacon Crowell. However it began, chronicle listings of chronological listings of the persons who died during the epidemic revealed that the death toll was staggering. Of the 37 deaths recorded, 17 occurred in one family. Let's try to imagine what it must have been like for the people of Chatham. This disease, as disfiguring as it was lethal, seemed to appear out of nowhere. Medical science of the time was still in its infancy, and our understanding of the disease was equally limited. Dr. Lord succumbed early to the disease, and a Mr. Thomas Freeman of Harwich, a man who was considered skillful in medicine, also contracted the smallpox and died on January 17th. The people of Chatham fought back as best they could. Schools were closed, businesses abandoned, all in an effort to combat the, the disease. Whole families were almost wiped out. Mr. John Ryder and his wife, along with their daughter, Bethiah, their sons, Zenas, and his wife, their son, Stephen, his wife, and nine of his ten children, and the wife of their son, Reuben. 
Deacon Seaman Smith. His wife and two of his daughters died, and other families lost two or three members each. To avoid spreading the disease, the usual funeral services were omitted, and the bodies of the deceased were taken up by members of the family and buried in the rear of their respective farms. Perhaps the Honorable James W. Howe sums up the epidemic best in a speech at the Chatham Bicentennial Celebration in 1912. Under the heading, Calamities, he states, The town has not been free from tragic events. In the fall of 1765, an epidemic of smallpox broke out in this town, and between November 23, 1765, and May 1, 1766, 37 persons died, and 24 had the disease and recovered, so that over 60% of those, ta- of those attacked died. 60%. These cases numbered 9% of the population. According, among the deaths was that of Dr. Samuel Lord, the first physician in town. He fell a martyr to his professional duty, so many physicians before had ha- had have since. This disease, which modern science has robbed of its terrors, was rendered so fatal by lack of medical assistance and ignorance of its town of its proper treatment. Then, in addition to this visitation, many of the inhabitants during the same period were visited with a grievous fever, whereof of divers or er, divers adult persons died and several families lay sick a long time. Today, you can visit the cemetery by stopping by the area known as the Training Field Triangle, also known as the Golden Triangle, which is a town conservation area. A trail approximately a mile long makes the full circuit around the triangle. The smallpox cemetery is located on the north side. Few of the epidemic's victims were actually buried there, but you can view the stones that were put up to commemorate their passing. Please follow the rules of conservation land use. On any excursion in the woods in Chatham, play attention to the season and watch out for poison ivy and ticks. Yeah, we went there. Uh, yes. We went there. Yeah, that one was, um, it was very small. It was small. But it was, um... But it had a nice fence around yes. it to protect it. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's this little turnout that you can park in, and then if you go up the trail and then to the left mm-hmm. and then make your first big left, the trail veers off and that's where it is. And you can kind of see yeah. it from the main trail. Um, the stones are very hard to read. They are so hard know. to read, yeah. Um, there were a few that, that were very yeah, clear. Yeah, there were some um, clear. It was, I mean, we're going to compare it to, to the next town in Provincetown, but they actually had their names on the they stones. They had their names um, on the stones. That they was had... really, really important to see, I think. Yeah, and they had, like, um, boards explaining mm-hmm. what these were, which was also really nice yes. to see. Like, even though, you know... A couple boards can't encompass the entirety mm. of what that must have been like. I mean, and then because it is a very small you know, amount of people there, it's still it, um, at the time that yeah. was a significant amount of people who passed. Yes, and, and I can't even fathom the what must it have been like to not be able to give them a proper burial, mm. to be so afraid of something that you couldn't even put them in the town cemetery you mm. had to bury a relative in your backyard like it's it's mind-boggling it really that, is that this was something and it's not so you know like it came through the area but yeah. we were talking about this yesterday normally when you hear smallpox you think about columbus bringing yes. it or or settlers bringing it and then mm-hmm. spreading it to indigenous populations um 
you don't hear so much about the smaller towns mm. who who were affected by the disease when it was rampant in this yeah. area, and it really was. So I don't think you even really hear very much about how it affected the Cape in general. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things it's not talked about. Yeah, which yeah. I think we we touch on that a little bit in in the next one coming mm-hmm. up. Um, why it wasn't talked about, yeah. and we'll um, we'll get into that, but and we'll also talk a little bit more about how we went and found these places yes. in case you want to too. Mm-hmm. But all right, so let's get into this one. This is Provincetown. For those of you who don't know where that is, it's the very tip of the cape. The cape shaped like an arm. It's right up and there. And your fingers. <laughs> Tippy top. That's Provincetown. So. If you're heading down Route 6 in Provincetown, you'll notice a dugout for cars to park alongside the road. There's the mouth to one of the many Cape Cod National Seashore trails there, and a sign that asks you to please leash your dog. As you start trekking through the woods, admiring the trees and the birds, you probably would never know that you were passing by the town's smallpox cemetery, also known as Pest House Cemetery and No Name Cemetery. That's because this cemetery has largely been reclaimed by nature. Built in the mid-1800s in response to the spreading epidemic, the no-name cemetery consists of 14 small numbered markers in the depression left from the now-demolished pest house. The cemetery sits near Duck Pond and at the bottom of a steep ravine, surrounded by beech trees and sandy soil. The markers stick at odd angles out of the ground. Most are broken, and the ones that remain standing are no more than 18 inches tall. The stones bear no names and instead are numbered 1 through 14. The Pestilence House, or Pest House, was a small eight by 10 foot treatment building built sometime around 1848. It was meant to keep those infected safely away from the rest of the town to prevent the spread of the disease. Records indicate that the conditions at the Pest House were deplorable and that as they were outcast and shunned by the general public, the sick who were kept in the shack only had the company of each other, their doctor, and a single nurse. It should be mentioned too that the fear of the disease was so great that the medical staff were forbidden from leaving the property, a fear of spreading the disease to the rest of the town. What is sad to note is that shortly after the pest house was built, the smallpox vaccination was developed, but it was routinely unused due to fear of the side effects from vaccination. From 1855 to 1873, 14 people died of smallpox at the pest house. Each of the people who died was buried with a numbered stone perhaps to spare their families backlash from other townspeople. Provincetown Library records note that the deaths seem to have occurred in May and November, in the spring and around Thanksgiving. One possible source of the appearance of smallpox in Provincetown can be traced back to Mary Rogers, a woman who traveled from Boston on board a steamship to the seaside town. It's said that immediately upon her disembarkment, she was quickly transported to the pest house, where she died six days later. The pest house was removed shortly after the final death in 1873, though a large hole remains at the head of the graves where the foundation was. By 1873, Dr. Horatio G. Newton, a consultant to the Provincetown Board of Health, had felt the disease was eradicated in the town due to their stricter than usual isolation and vaccination rules. Smallpox, however, was not isolated to the pest house. You have to understand, Provincetown was a major fishing port Seamen, fishermen, sailors, and vacationers flocked to the area, coming from all over and from all walks of life. 
Research of early 1800s, mid 1850s, and early 1870s proposed that there were probably many more deaths from smallpox than the 16 on record. They were more likely recorded under different reasons due to shame, embarrassment, and the possibility of being outcast by the community. The first recorded epidemic of smallpox in Provincetown was in 1801. A house was set aside to quarantine the sick, and that house was the site of the Grace Govia building. In response, the Town Board of Health imposed strict rules. In 1848, another incidence of smallpox, smallpox inspired the board to set aside a tract of land away from the town. I'm sure you can put the pieces together. This tract of land was for the pest house. Panic seized Provincetown again in 1872 when smallpox reared its head. By now, people were afraid to report cases, and when someone came down with the disease, it was difficult to find someone to transport them to the pest house or to bury their body when they died. Tansen Manuel, the wife of one of the Board of Health members, contracted the disease after her husband visited the pest house and passed the virus on to her. Her husband, using his position to his advantage, had her declared a victim of a heart attack so she could have a Christian burial in the town cemetery. The people buried in the Pest House Cemetery remained nameless until 1980, when Lorana Higgins Cook wrote Provincetown, Massachusetts Cemetery Inscriptions. It was in her book that she shined light on those who were buried there. Their names in order on the stones are Adam Dreyer, died May 9th, 1855, age 22 of Truro. John Roberts, died May 15th, 1855, age unknown, birthplace unknown. Monson W. Barnard, died May 19th, 1855, age and birthplace unknown. Elizabeth Hill, died May 20th, 1860, age 51 of Truro. Kenneth Ferguson, died May 20th, 1864, age 22, birthplace unknown. Anton Domingo died November 1st, 1872, age 22, of the West Island. Mary Rogers died November 8th, 1872, age 25, born in the Western Islands. George D. Hallett died November 26th, 1872, age 31, of Barnstable. Tamsin Manuel died November 27th, of 1872, age 73, of Orleans. Frank Sofrin, alias Small, died December 24, 1872, age and birthplace unknown. Manuel Tresiera died December 24, 1872. William H. Butler died January 7, 1873. John McDonald died January 8, 1873. Thomas Basil died May 28, 1873, age unknown of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In 2015, a simple granite marker was unveiled at the Winthrop Street Cemetery in Provincetown, commemorating those who rest in the Pest House Cemetery. So that's just a basic outline mm. of Provincetown, and clearly there was... It took some digging to like get actual documents that mm. related to research that had been done there, but clearly there was this fear of reporting that anyone had smallpox in your family or that, that someone was sick with it and people mm. were... To, I think the best way to describe this actually is to describe the area where this place is. 
So when you when you park in that little dugout and you go up the trail, you're walking for about about ten minutes, right? I would say. Yeah, maybe maybe ten minutes. And it's um, nice. It's like a good, well beaten mm-hmm. path. There's a horse track road part there, mm-hmm. and then there's this deer trail which first of all we passed this like 30 times yeah i'm not even like <laughs> we we weren't even sure because that's how obscure yes. it is this it's was... it's literally not even a well-used deer trail the no, deer don't no, no, even no, use no. this one very well yeah um you go up a hill mm-hmm. and then down another hill and then back up again yeah and then it's, and it's very easy to overshoot it. Yes, it's, it's very easy, and it's very steep. It's a very steep ravine. If you it was do raining go, when we went there, so it was, it was muddy. There's pricker bushes. Yes. Um, if you do go there, be careful of your hands, because if you try and grab onto something while you're going down, you may get um, prickers in you. Yeah. But it's a very steep ravine, and at the bottom of the steep ravine, by the way, this is the only way to get to it. Yes. Is to go through this path. You can't like come from another direction really without having to fight through a there's, bunch of woods and. There's really yeah. There's really no easy way to, to yeah. get get to this. Um, it's so hidden away at this point. I don't even think, you know, I don't believe that the the trail's being maintained anymore or anything like that. And there's not very many people going that way. So yeah, not the trail to it specifically, um, but the trail around. So there, it is yes, the trail around is fine, but to this. Um, to the pest, the house, pest house it's really uh, you are the one who is forging that trail yes. by walking <laughs> on that path and so you slide down this hill and like it was it was really hard to get down there um this was like shortly after my ankle surgery yeah i well i i was i was up and moving i still had a brace on and uh so that was a bit concerning like i even had hiking boots on and i yeah i mean I was slipping inside. I remember I had to grab onto tree roots to actually get down there and use it like a ladder. Yeah. Once we figured out where it was, <laughs> because we went around it a couple times, we were like, "Is that it? Is that it? Are yeah. those beech trees?" And you know, you get down there, um, and it's just there's a hole mm-hmm. where the pest house was. You can see the hole, and it was small. I mean, eight by ten. It sounds big, but it actually, was very like, small. it's very tiny. And it's it's like you know like the path is the whole place is really starting to be reclaimed by um, by, by nature. nature. Yeah. It's um, a lot of the the graves now are some of them you can't even see anymore. You can't find them. Um, they've either been broken off or um, maybe just you know buried by by the elements. Um, some of them are sticking up and you can really notice them. Other others are like so low to the grounds that only like the number is peeking out. Yeah. Um, I, I actually took some pictures. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. we um, maybe we can include those in the newsletter. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was really fascinating to get there and they're all numbers there's no name markers. Um, it's a tiny area. It's a tiny I tiny mean, area. I can't I trying to picture what it must have been like you get sick like yes. some of these people 22 years old some some of them were single some of them were sailors it mm-hmm. had their job descriptions in the article that i was reading i didn't include those but um some of them were married and had kids yeah but i mean just picturing myself okay i'm in my 20s i'm single if i got sick now and my family threw me out or if i'm away from my home and my ship captain turned me out because mm. i was sick and then sent me into the woods. Mm-hmm. This, like, so you're, in relation to Provincetown... You're essentially sent there to die. You're sent there to you're, die. You're it's miles away from the yeah. town. Like, if you're sick, you're not walking back from no. there if you, you know... I mean, people were sent there either to die or to be cured, and it mm-hmm. sounds like 
the majority everyone just everyone died, who died who was including there. the um the i believe the uh, the doctors that were there the nurses did were, they? also died oh, um i did not know that i thought but, i remember reading that it was the that the nurses died there as well maybe it's possible uh, i mean i know that at one point it said 16 deaths were marked as from smallpox but only 14 were in the pest house and two it didn't say who the other two were mm-hmm. where that happened i'm assuming in town yeah but i mean as as we kind of covered in here like there must have been more deaths. Oh, um, there must have been, but it was probably hidden away. It was hidden away. I mean, yeah. that one guy who, on the, because he was on the board of health, was yes. able to get his wife a burial in the town plot. Because, because of a heart attack. Instead yeah, of the, calling it a heart attack. Like, yeah. how many other people probably did that? Mm. So, I Just mean, so we're talking about burial. early, well, mid and early and late 1800s. Mm. When, you know, that was, we can't ignore that that was a part of Cape Cod life, was the church. I mean, Mm -hmm. Harwich, part of Harwich split off because they didn't want to go to the other church all the way in Brewster. Yeah. It's just something that back then was very important to the people who lived in the area. Mm -hmm. And so for these people to be ostracized from their church, so not from even, their neighbors, from yeah, their families. Not even be buried, you know, in a, in a Christian burial. Um, and what kills me is there was a vaccination. Yes. There was a vaccine. But people like, were too afraid to use it. People them. were too afraid to use it. And people died up through the 1870s. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, these people could have lived. Mm-hmm. They could have lived. I mean, the ones who were really sad were the ones who were very young yeah, to me. Because yeah, there's some, there was 20 years old. I mean... It's it's just like you. I mean, granted, back then life expectancy probably wasn't true that high. I but mean, it's still twenty years old. But is, still, is, as a twenty-year-old, you're barely a baby. Yeah, Twenty-two yeah. years old, you're a baby still. You're still so young. Mm. You got so much, and that you know, like they they obviously couldn't pinpoint where it came down from. I mean, they said Mary Rogers, but. She was just one of many, many, many people who came to Provincetown. Provincetown was a thriving fishing village um, for years and years and years and years before it got wiped out by a hurricane, I believe. And mm-hmm. that turned it into the artist village that you know it today. Yeah. Um, but, like, people went there in droves. People still go yeah. there in droves. So just the fact that... You know, there were so many people going through from all different areas, from all mm-hmm. parts of the world, probably, bringing this with them. There must have been more. Oh, there had to have There been. must have 16 been 16 is nothing. 16, like, if we Compared look at what to... happened in, in Chatham, mm-hmm. like, you know there must oh, have yeah. been more if that percentage of the population in mm-hmm. Chatham caught it and died. Mm-hmm. So... And, and those are just, like, two areas. There were yeah. other places that had epidemics. Falmouth, I believe. Um, Wellfleet had people who caught it. I know Harwich had some. Harwich, yeah. So it was all up and down the Cape mm-hmm. in pockets. Um, that, that really just... You don't hear about it. Yeah. You don't. It's not a part of Cape Cod history. And I think that goes back to the whole shame and embarrassment thing like oh no my family yeah. we can't be the ones who have this disease because mm. they didn't understand where it came from right i mean it sounds like i mean there wasn't very much um you know except for those the forcing that we have buried in 16 and all mm. it sounds like there wasn't very much documentation 
Um, yeah. So if there were any more, it probably wasn't even it was like put down on people because yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like in like in Chatham, where um, family members would just be buried in their um, their yeah. backyards, kind of thing. Like, it's essentially the same thing. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, just, it's just it just kept hidden away, and then once once they pass, it's you know, it's it. hidden away. And dust your hands off and move on. Yeah. Well, maybe not that. Yeah. Us, but like it it was definitely. I mean, then again, it makes sense in the sense that, you know, we still get scared today when we hear about some new mm. virus that's come out. Um, one example, when not that Ebola was new, but when it started making the news more, people mm-hmm. were very frightened of it. Back then, they didn't have the news. They lived in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Absolutely nowhere. Like, the God, God like a... was very removed yes. <laughs> from everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so... These people, they had no, like, thriving main connection, except maybe for the fishermen. It makes you wonder, though, like, like, what the connection was to Chatham. Like, were they aware that it was as bad of an epidemic in Chatham as, you know, from Provincetown? Maybe, I mean... mean, Were they they cut off enough that, Or were you so isolated isolated that you really only knew your pocket of the case? I feel like that's probably what it was, just from the way the towns have developed. Yeah. Like, every town has its own personality, so I think it's it's definitely, like, (laughs) one of those, everyone kind of stuck to their area, and maybe news traveled, but maybe maybe it wasn't as reported as it might have been because right. of that shame factor i mean that's who knows possible. that's just total speculation but yeah i mean i feel like if i'm if i'm you know jane doe from chatham and i'm walking over to provincetown or i guess riding on a horse over to <laughs> provincetown i don't want to necessarily tell them that my town is being yeah. ravaged by this disease they're not gonna let me in no exactly <laughs> um but, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting, interesting part of Cape Cod history. And, you know, there's probably so much more. I found a lot of all the stuff on here in research that was already done by a doctor who wrote three amazing articles on the history of smallpox. Um, some of it is just in here already, so you can piece together parts of his articles in there. It's available if you use the Wayback Machine online, the Internet Archive. Um, the site is no longer there though, so you do have to use the Wayback Machine, but there was that. There was like a pamphlet that I found that someone had done of Provincetown history Mm. where they pulled sources from like the town's book of the dead to get these people's names, dates of death, um, places of birth, occupations, marriage records. So there's information out there. It's hard to dig for it. And like Jamie said, a lot of it's been lost. So... You know, if you do ever find something interesting in your family attic, if you live in this area and you mm. find out, you know, one of your grandparents or your great-grandparents or whatever it is. I mean, at this point, it's probably great-great-great-grandparents. But yeah, at this point. <laughs> multiple greats yeah. in there. Um, if you find anything in your family history related to smallpox in Cape Cod, it's probably worth bringing to your local history it organization. It definitely is, yeah. Um, if, if you can't, like, get a contact person for there, go to your local library. Ask them... You know, who is a point of contact? Who can I give this to for town history? And that goes, I think, across the board for other places in the country. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, if you find something historically significant, something that really your great-great-great-grandpappy wrote about, I don't know, some tornado that came through (laughs) town or... Some, something big that happened that you just weren't really aware of that had happened in your town, take it to your local historical society. Oh, absolutely. They will leap for joy to have something like that because that's stuff that it's fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it needs to be preserved. There's ways now to digitize those things. Um, there's different campaigns that you can be involved in actually through like Library of Congress. They have one mm-hmm. where they just host old notes that people have written yep. and, and you, you can, can transcribe them. You can transcribe. I think it was Margaret or... A whole bunch of different there ones. Was, there was a whole bunch of There ones. was like a um, Civil War one. Yeah. To, which was sad. I did some of those and those were sad. Yeah. Um, but it's really fun to do those really too. It really is fun. <laughs> I mean, I was in archives. I did... One of the ones I did was for a doctor up in Duxbury, um, his family, and their correspondence. And they had some wild correspondence. <laughs> it was really interesting, the people that were in that family. Um, and then another one I did was Helen Keller oh, and yeah. her personal correspondence. So, I mean, you can find so many interesting things if you start looking at all these old notes and reading through them. And it's, I mean, maybe I'm just a history nerd, but like, no, I love so cool. seeing letters from like, Abe Lincoln or Roosevelt or you know all these people to different different individuals Mm. and it the further back in in our history you go I think the closer those connections are to like big name people because there are less people and the important Mm -hmm. people in your town were the ones who were involved with those big name people yeah so just because your town is tiny doesn't mean there weren't big things that happened so save that history yes and save those names and keep it going because like something like this I mean, without the work of the library, it and very easily could have been could be lost. lost. Yeah, yeah, just like the cemetery, mm-hmm. which is it so is, sad. Yes, Thanks. I mean, I'm like thankfully they have that marker, that marker that the um, commemorating those um, who rest in the past cemetery. Because honestly, if if you were to just stumble upon this, you would have no idea. Yeah, um, I mean, you could probably tell it's some kind of. I mean, you uh, you yeah, might get the graveyard idea. Uh, you would understand maybe. I mean, maybe. Even then, it's hard because there's so many broken. Yes, so many are broken, and the numbers, I mean, they they look like markers more than anything. Like, you know, some sort of old town markers or something. Yeah, yeah, like land um, markers. You might not even know, which is, honestly, that's the saddest thing. These people were buried here. This Mm -hmm. is where they died, and and now all they have is a bunch of leaves and trees. They don't even have a proper headstone over where they passed, which, I mean, oof. Uh, at least they do have that marker, though, in in town, yeah. in the Winthrop Street Cemetery. Um, so if you are passing through Provincetown, maybe take a poke over there and see what it looks like. I've never been to that one. Yeah, um, we're going to have to go. We're going to have to go. <laughs> we, we, that's something we do is we go around to the old cemeteries and take a look. It's actually really interesting if you look at the headstones. There's ways to mm. tell like which company made which headstone yeah, based on the, the type of engraving. Yep. And there's certain motifs that always go throughout the different headstones, um, like flames or trees or Mm. certain things go through and certain companies use those things. So if you have any interest in doing that on Cape Cod, there's a lot of old cemeteries, not just these smallpox ones, which honestly, there's like one smallpox one that's, it's a stone sticking up out of like literally on the side of a road. Um, it's yeah, I mean, yeah. Head to some of the bigger ones if you want to take rubbings mm-hmm. of old stones. There's a lot of sea captains who had very fancy ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure you can find those. And probably a good place to start, I would actually say, is the cemetery in Brewster. Yeah, the Brewster one is perfect. Yeah, that one's mm-hmm. a really good one. Um, I would think, you know, anything around around There's... any of the more water-bound areas would be because you're going to get more sea captains, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Rather than ones that are landlocked. I I would say there's so many of them on the Cape, too, that you can explore, so... But uh, Um, definitely 
head on out check yeah. out the smallpox cemeteries again be careful of ticks that's a big thing in this area mm-hmm. be careful of where you put your footing where you grab on you don't want to get poison ivy and ticks yeah. and prickers in your hands that and would be falling in yeah. that's just not fun but yeah. it is really fascinating to go see these things and the trail out by the no name cemetery is very pretty too if you do just go out there I know we saw some guys just foraging for mushrooms yeah. there, so there's <laughs> definitely other things to do in that area if you decide to go you can clearly walk your dog it was um, definitely a like it was just a nice hike in general it was a like, really nice you hike. know just to, just to walk around and it's it's short so um you know I, I think that it looked like it, it could keep it going, looked though, yeah pretty, pretty long I but, probably um, connects with the rest of the seashore I, I imagine yeah, I believe so. so I mean it was good you you guys would probably like it mm-hmm. um if you want more direction to where the pest house cemetery is i think we're planning on doing a youtube yes. video on how to get there to update the other youtube <laughs> video there is a youtube video out there it's but it was unclear. taken in winter <laughs> mm. so everything looks really different yeah than it does we went in the fall and we um, were i think we watched that video so many times we did we were like, where are and you it's going? hard well also like the trail then is a little more obvious because the leaves are down i think yeah so but even then it's such a tiny trail so tiny we'll go and we'll make another video we'll make some videos Mm -hmm. um all right guys thank you so much for being with us with spooktober yes that was so much fun (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm like i'm glad it's over because i don't have to like worry about this anymore but i'm also like oh this is really fun it's over (laughs) yeah we'll have to We'll have to come back. Um, I really yeah. like researching things. And I know. Clearly, I mean, this is part of my job. But <laughs> I really oh like looking gosh. into stuff, and especially like things like this, which are a little offbeat. Definitely, um, yeah. Like, I mean, you're not gonna probably walk up to your average schmo and be like, "So, <laughs> let's talk about champion." <laughs> but um, champion. I mean. If you guys have any topics that are a little strange, a little odd that you want us to research or oh, look yes. into, please let please us know. Please let us know because I am yeah. happy to build an entire show around <laughs> some some odd question or whatever yeah. you have, some piece of local legend mm-hmm. or some I don't know something you saw out of your backyard window and you want to know everything about it. <laughs> yes. So please, uh, please let us know. Actually, that'd be an interesting con- that would continuation. Be- like, pick, sounds- pick something and then tell us everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> That might be fun. That would be really cool. That would be really, really cool. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Woohoo, you're the best. We and love you. Made you. It. <laughs> you made it to the end. You listened to us with our two long ep- I think these were our two longest episodes. Yeah, these are the For sure. I mean, oh my gosh. Last week's was <laughs> Believe was intense. If you guys were able to listen to that, hats off to you. (laughs) Um, We truly appreciate your support in this. It's been really, really humbling to actually see the numbers slowly creep up. I mean, granted, we don't have a ton of people listening to us, but we have people who listen to us (laughs) regularly, and that's that's so sweet thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to put us on even if you're just like tuning us in while you're in the car for five seconds at a time that means so much to us absolutely um and that's it for october specials we'll be back in november with your regular stuff i don't know what we're gonna do we'll see maybe we'll just go wild with it you never know specials all year round (laughs) maybe all right all right bye everyone bye